Welcome to Enbus Talks, a podcast focusing on Norwegian business in Singapore and Asia, where we take the lead on innovation, new technology, and new solutions. Because Norway means business. With your host, Anders Hegre, Executive Director at the Norwegian Business Association in Singapore. Welcome to Enbos Talks. This uh, podcast is focusing on super apps. And this episode is sponsored by DNB. With us today, we have the co-host of the podcast, Ian Jakobsen from Cocoon Capital, Joachim Broughton from the product team at Grab, and CEO and founder, uh, Magnus Grimlan of Antler and also my colleague at Enbos, Birte Hansen. Welcome to all of you. We take a quick round of introductions before we start on the exciting topic ahead. Yes, so my name is Joachim Broughton. I recently moved here to Singapore about uh, yeah, nine months, close to a year ago. So I'm currently in the product team at, at Grab doing uh, payments. So I'm working with uh, Grab Pay as a senior product manager. So I have experience from payments and product management from from Europe and, and Norway before that. My name is Birte Hansen. I moved with Joachim to Singapore uh, nine months ago now, um, after I finished my PhD. And I have been lucky enough to get the job as product manager for the Norwegian Business Association here in Singapore, which is why I'm here today. Um, my name is Ina Jacobson. I work for Cocoon Capital. We're an early stage VC fund based in Singapore. We invest in the whole of Southeast Asia mainly in B2B or enterprise uh, or deep tech companies. We invest very early stage, usually pre-revenue or pre-product. Um, I'm a, a very founder-focused fund, so we work very closely with our founders. Um, and we usually invest in companies that are um, come out of Antler, typically. Excellent. Then, uh, uh, I'm Magnus Grimland, the founder and CEO of Antler. I actually invested in the Cocoon Funds, so uh, uh, you know I, th there's a strong corporation there. Um, uh, you know, with Antler, we're we're also an early stage venture capital company. What we do is 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 very early, so we work with founders from the get-go to build their great uh, next business. So really, we're uh, you know, we want to support the world's most exceptional people to, to solve important problems and, and build fast-growing tech companies around them. And we do that by really uh, supporting people from the get-go. So uh, finding the right co-founders, validating their business model, uh, and coming with the first bit of capital. Um, and we do that um, across the globe. Uh, we have an office there in Singapore. We have one in Oslo, Stockholm, London, Amsterdam. Sydney, Nairobi, and New York, where we currently run programs, and uh, we're just about to launch um, in South America, Sao Paulo, Bangalore in, in India, and Beijing in China, on top of a, a few other interesting locations. So, yeah, we're, we're excited to come here today and, uh, and talk about super apps. I think it's um, it's quite exciting. The innovation in Asia has led globally there in terms of creating very strong uh, environments and ecosystems where you have a number of different services within uh, one frame of operation. So, yeah, very exciting to, to be here today to talk about super apps. Yeah, and then the big question uh, in uh, what are super apps? Yeah, so we thought we would start off by trying to define a super app. Um, not many 
maybe outside of Southeast Asia or, is, or even in Southeast Asia is familiar with this term. And I think Grab is a great example of a super app. So perhaps we could just start by what is Grab and how is that a super app? Yeah, sure. So uh, Grab is a super app uh, to, to start there. So so what defines a super app, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a tricky question, honestly. So if we look at the companies that are considered super apps today, like Grab, WeChat, and, and Alipay, they, they share common characteristics, right? They, they do a lot of things, that's one. There's a lot of functionality and there's a lot of things you can do as a consumer in there. So they're also mostly consumer facing. That's another characteristic they share, right? I think in, in Asia in total, the super apps have a, a monthly active user base of probably way north of a billion, perhaps two billion people, right? So there's also a daily relevance uh, with these apps for people generally. Uh, people use it every day, oftentimes several types, right? So the services that are bundled together in these super apps uh, come together to create a coherent narrative for the users and create great user experiences for the users throughout the objectives and tasks they want to do during the day, like order food, get from A to B, pay for their pay for their stuff uh, online and offline, uh, and that's the super app mm -hmm. in short. Uh, Magnus, maybe you could also try to define the difference between uh, Grab, for example, as a super app, and Facebook. Why are they different? Yeah, so I, I think it's a great example. And, uh, you know, we were, we were chatting a little bit earlier, and I, I thought uh, the way Joachim talked about this was quite compelling. So, um, you know, when I'm, when I wake up here in Singapore, uh, you know, I can, I can go out, get a grab, uh, get, get a cup of coffee, and I can pay with the Grab app because they have payment integrated as one well of their services. Then I want to go to the office, I can book a car to get to the office. When I get to the office and I want to have lunch, um, I can go into the same app and order food from, you know, a thousand plus restaurants. Uh, uh, when I, uh, you know, then my friend called me, which I paid for the dinner we were at last night and told me I still haven't paid him the hundred dollars that I was supposed to pay for that dinner. I can transfer that through the same app. And uh, if I want to go to the movie in the evening, I can book the movie tickets in the same app. So it's really kind of an app where you have a number of different programs and services integrated in one app where I literally only have to create, I only have to create my profile once. I fill in my profile, put in my credit card information, all the stuff that they need, and I can use all of the services within one app, right? Uh, difference between that and the experience in, let's say, Norway is if I wanted to do the same thing, I would have to pull up multiple different apps to achieve the same thing that I did here uh, with Grab. Um, and, uh, you know, there are a number of companies that provide multiple types of services, and Facebook, as you mentioned, are one of them, where they will have Messenger for messaging, they will have, you know, Facebook, the social network part, they will have Instagram for video, they're obviously now also launching a, a payment service, but these are separate apps with separate icons in your phone. Uh, so in the same way as going through that journey I just talked about with, with Grab Taxi earlier, uh, I can do that with an app, one app here in, in, uh, in Singapore, but if I were to do it in Norway, uh, you know, I would go to the store, buy my coffee and pay with whips. I would um, go and order a car by calling or using my taxi app. Um, I would order the food on some food delivery service app. 
and I would have to fill in my profile and my finance information on all of these different app ecosystems. I'd also have to download 10 different type of apps. And, uh, you know, so therefore, I very much believe that the super app ecosystems that are being built here in Asia is the future. It just makes sense from a business perspective that you have synergies on your product infrastructure, on the products that you already built, but you also have huge user synergies, right? It, it takes away the... Uh, the barrier of entry into using new services within one app ecosystem. So I think those are the major difference between what we've seen so far in the West and what we've seen here in Asia. Now, I do think that rapidly this is changing in the West as well. And you see that with, with companies as Spotify, Uber, and others integrating more and more services onto their platforms. Mm. But here they are followers and not leaders, which is interesting, because typically it's been the other way around. Mm. So uh, an important part of the super app is the payment, right? It, it kind of fuels a lot of the services. So why do you think the payment, um, why, how has that been able to build these super apps here in Southeast Asia that is different from the West, uh, Joachim? Yeah, so first of all, payments is, it represents a massive opportunity in Asia and Southeast Asia particularly, right? There are uh, a lot of people who are unbanked and uncarded in the region they don't or didn't or either have access to digital payments at all. They relied on cash, so both the consumers relied on cash and also small and medium-sized businesses relied heavily on on cash. So that's one one reason, like the uh, why why companies are pursuing this. It's a massive opportunity. So 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 that's one. Uh, the other is that to create this narrative that Magnus was uh, kind of uh, uh, speaking on right now. To do to build that narrative inside an app where you have an everyday relevance, a relevance several times a day through the things that you're going to do, payments needs to be there in a sense, right? Uh, because a lot of the things you do are paying for paying for stuff basically mm. throughout the day. So that's the second thing. The third thing why it's it's pursued so heavily, I believe, is that in all of these apps that you have typically in Norway, the 10 or 15 apps with payment information the companies that are processing these payments earn money off of the, the, that, that process, right? So if you're rooted and you charge for, a, charge for a ticket, the payment processing company will get a slice out of that pie, right? So if you're large enough and have a large enough user base with enough services to generate large volume, to turn that cost center into a profit center makes a lot of sense because you can start charging for processing payments instead of being charged to process payments. So uh, business-wise, it makes a lot of sense for, for large-scale companies to pursue that. And I think we'll see that more and more moving forward. So I don't think that the traditional payment company will, or I think they will struggle a bit. So there are um, super apps that are pursuing payments and also related services like lending and, and wealth management, but also large e-commerce players like in Europe, Zalando, Zalando, for example, they are creating their own payment service because they process a lot of money, obviously. And if they really get that right, they can then turn around and start selling that service to other uh, e-commerce fashion services. So I think I think doing payments will be something that more and more companies are doing moving forward, both because it makes sense from a, from a, like a turn a cost center into a profit center viewpoint, and also because it makes sense for their, for their business to create great user experiences. Mm. I think I just want to add to that because I think another important point to that, um, which we were also chatting about earlier before we started the, uh, the podcast, which Joachim rightly mentioned, is that for a lot of people in Asia, um, these super apps becomes their first type of bank account. 
right? So there are hundreds of millions of people there who don't have the traditional type of banking service. So they will onboard on this app, not to get a bank account, but to be able to pay for those services. And thereby they will enter into the economy in a whole new way, right? And this was a, and this is a tremendous this benefit to society, but also a tremendous benefit to the business itself. Not only the super app, but all other businesses out there. So for example, when we launched Solora, you know, obviously when you build an e-commerce company now in, in, in Europe, you can tap into an existing logistics network, you can tap into existing payment methods and all of that. But when we launched Solora here in, in 2012, you know, we went to a place like Indonesia, there was only 3% of the population who could pay with a card, right? So you're, you know, instead of serving 300 million people, you were serving 9 million people with a card. So you need to solve that problem somehow to scale. And this is what I think Grab has done incredibly effectively. We launched that, we solved that problem with Solora through implementing cash and delivery, which obviously is a very tedious process when you get a package, when you order a package, and then um, you get to send that package to one distributor, to another distributor, to a plane that takes it from one place to another, to he then puts it on the boat, or then puts it on the motorcycle, and it gets delivered to the end customer. That customer pays $10. And that money needs to go through the entire system back again <laughs> to you. Uh, you know that's not, not that's not very efficient. Uh, but the only reason why we have to do it that way was because a service like that didn't exist. And obviously, as Grab are launching all of these services, that payment part for the unbanked is incredibly important. Otherwise, you won't be able to scale and provide those benefits to all the people that are here, right? Mm -hmm. And once you have people on board like this, you can provide other types of services that are important for them like insurance, um, uh, health insurance, life insurance, all these things that are incredibly important, you know, various types of medical services, all these things that didn't exist before. Um, and this, I think, is, is, is also one core reason why this super apps, in a certain way, has also been a necessity here in Asia. Mm. Okay, so I'm happy you mentioned that, because I think one of the things that we all agree on for a super app to be successful is to have scale. It's to, to be able to, to build to a large population, which is uh, possible when you look at Southeast Asia as a total. Um, but Southeast Asia is a lot of different small countries with a different, um, very different uh, population sizes. So here in, in Southeast Asia, we have two major players in the super app, which is uh, Grab and Gojek, which both started out with transport. And then they've kind of scaled in different ways. Gojek being much bigger in Indonesia and Grab being also big in Indonesia, but also uh, scaling to a lot of other countries more quickly. And so I was thinking, how can we look at what, how those two players have acted and think about Europe in the same way? Because Europe also has some very big populations, but there's also lots of smaller populations um, as well. But that might be very welcoming to a super app. So how can we draw on the on the things that have happened here in Southeast Asia and, and look towards Europe and what might happen there? I think that's an interesting question. So, so one of them, I've been doing payments both in Southeast Asia and in, in Norway or Europe, right? So mm -hmm. expanding services in Europe is comparatively simple compared to expanding services in Southeast Asia. Just the regulatory hurdles of introducing a new product in a new market takes a lot of time and effort here as compared to Europe. So like mm -hmm. uh, from a system perspective, you would think that 
launching services across Europe would be much simpler than it would be in Southeast Asia. But yet we see that uh, Grab and other players have managed to do that very efficiently in a very mm. short amount of time, yeah. whereas we haven't really seen that in Europe. So it's an interesting question. Uh, I don't really have an answer to why, <laughs> but it's definitely an interesting observation. Yeah, I think, um, you know, to go back to, to where you started, I think it's interesting to kind of figure out how these things got started, right? And obviously in Asia, you've seen with Grab Taxi and, and with Gojek, you've seen it, it started with that transportation layer. Um, now, I think if you look at kind of Korea, Japan, um, China to a certain extent, it started with communication, mm. right? So chat apps and, and these types of things. Um, and um, uh, uh, you also actually see in, in China and a few other markets that it started with the e-commerce part, that you, you created an e-commerce company. And also here in, in Southeast Asia, you've seen companies like Lazada launch a payment option. And obviously they got acquired by Alibaba and they started using Alipay instead. But if Alipay didn't come in there, they would have launched a payment methodology that would be Lazada Pay or something like this. I actually think they had something like this at some point of time. Um, so what? What is the common thread amongst those? I think the common thread of those is that you have an incredibly kind of big and growing user base um, that you have been able to acquire because you're solving an important problem. Um, and I think you know these super apps in Europe can also start in all three ways. Probably not the chat side of things because everyone uses more or less the kind of Facebook chat apps and so on in, in Europe, but definitely the e-commerce side definitely also the payment side. Um, the logistics side, again, probably that would be you know, Uber leading the race or, or, or some of those. But you can see them coming out of that. But really, any kind of company with a big user base, whether it's, you know, spoke about earlier, booking.com or you know, other type platforms where there's a lot of people doing something, you can add on services on those. So there's a huge opportunity for anyone who's kind of listening in here who's working in one of those companies to do that. Um, um, so, you know, that for sure will happen in Europe, whether it's, you know, Revolut or Zalando or whoever it is, or, or Whips in Norway, whoever it is who kind of takes this on, but it will definitely happen because the synergies are so big on the business side and uh, uh, the synergies and the service and the impact and the resistance to new services that you, you lower for the consumer is just so big. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think we mentioned this, uh, we talked about it earlier before we started the podcast, but the reason why Grab was created wasn't to create a super app. So, but it's a very interesting story about how they've kind of grown. Maybe you can talk, tell that story. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so, so when Grab started, it started out in Malaysia um, a few years ago, right? So, so one of the problems, or the main problem that the founders were trying to solve was that uh, one of the co-founders, uh, she felt it was uh, unsafe to take a taxi back home from work when it was dark. Uh, so the taxi situation there was quite precarious. It could be a bit uh, challenging. You hail a taxi on the street. You don't know who, who, who's driving. You don't know if this is the actual person who owns the license to drive the taxi. It might be his friend or, or something, right? Uh, so a lot of people felt unsafe. So that was the problem they started to solve. Right? How can we make this convenient? and 
most importantly, super safe, right? So if you have an app where you connect peer-to-peer, -peer, like on Grab, you know who the taxi driver is, there's like a rating system involved. So, so this was what they started out uh, trying to solve, right? And they've done immensely well, obviously, with solving that problem. Uh, and then they started expanding, right? So they had this killer use case that they built up a, a large um, customer base on and then have gradually expanded into into other services, right? So so from food to march services to payments to other services coming up, uh, they didn't start as a super app in any way. They started solving a real specific important problem with a huge potential impact. And then it was very interesting, I think you both mentioned it, but the narrative around how you use the app is very important because one of, I would believe, the key metrics of, of a super app is how long, how much time you spend on this app, right? It's, it's about consistency, people coming back and using it again and again. And so maybe we could just explore, like, what are the use cases that could... Um, that we could see in Europe. I think uh, both of you have mentioned um, some of the financial apps like Revolut or N26 or, or Booking.com. Maybe we can just explore that a little bit more. Yes, so I, I think that the way to think about it is if you think about your phone currently and then the services that you spend the most time on on that phone, and then you create a matrix where the kind of time spent on those services versus kind of the revenue and the value it generates on all the other, and then you pick the, the top, top, top quarter and quarter and right, which is kind of how much value you create and and how much time is being spent on them. Um, it kind of makes sense to start integrating those types of services, right? Um, possibly minus the ones that are more kind of content related, like Netflix and so on. But mm -hmm. even there. You know, we've seen the big players like Amazon and Tencent and so on really getting into content as well and integrating that into their app. Mm -hmm. So I think that is literally what will happen. So the one, the most used services in 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 Europe, they will start developing an ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. So Spotify is a great example. They started off doing music only. Now they're doing podcasts as well. They just announced that they are. They started now acquiring original content, like Joe Rogan, for example, in Italy, they just acquired, they're launching now the video part of it. And there's a very interesting, actually, podcast that I, uh, you know, think everyone should um, should listen to, is Invest, Invest, Invest Like the Best. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's an interview with, the, you know, Spotify founder, Daniel Ek, and he's talking about, they were discussing whether they should split this up into separate apps or build it in one app ecosystem. And... Uh, you know, probably five years ago, they would have split it up into separate apps. But now, based on the learnings from, from China, from here, uh, it just makes sense to kind of build this into one ecosystem instead because the barrier to having people sign up for a separate app is just so incredibly high. You have the cut associated with that or the customer acquisition cost associated with that. But if you can build it within your existing user base, it just has such uh, humongous uh, potential. So I would just like... Yeah, kind of list your apps based on the most used apps that you have, and pretty sure that over the next kind of five years, the ones that are on the top there will start developing in super apps. Mm. Ina, what uh, are your uh, thinking of the future apps in uh, in the West? Do you think it will be as uh, as uh, widespread as here in uh, in Asia? Yeah, I. I 
it's difficult to tell, right? Because people are already used to going to different apps for different things. But I definitely think there will be a consolidation um, of, of apps and services being built together. I already know from experience that I, I, I gravitate towards the apps that can provide me the most service, even if they might be a little bit more expensive or a little bit less convenient sometimes just because I have all my information there, I trust them with my data. And data is another important thing in the in Europe, right? Being able to, to follow all of the regulations and everything, um, only the big ones will be able to, to probably provide that security as well. So that's a different aspect. You don't really have the same data protection here. Um, for both good and bad <laughs> uh, reasons. So. Yeah. I think yeah, there was also one aspect that we maybe should have been into. Why has super apps become so popular here in Asia? And uh, there is a little difference uh, coming to infrastructure, right? Yeah, I think it, it could be interesting if, uh, I think Joachim, you mentioned earlier before we started the podcast about the difference in especially the mobile phones here in Southeast Asia. Yeah, sure. So uh, I think there's a huge difference that has is, is not the cause of super apps being popular in Asia and not in, in, in the Western world, but it's an underlying, like a foundation of, of why we see this happening, right? So, and one of those things is the fact that many people, if not most in Asia, leapfrog the entire desktop uh, thing and went straight straight to mobile. Uh, that's uh, when you compare that to, to Western Europe, where we're still very dependent on desktop. I mean, me personally, when I feel like I need to do something important or something that's a bit tricky, I will default back to my desktop instead of using my, my mobile phone, right? Um, that behavior is not as prevalent here since there aren't as many people with desktops to begin with. They've also grown up being used to doing everything on their mobile phone, right? So that's a cultural thing that's that's highly, highly different. There's also a technological thing that's different, seeing as the phones in Europe and Norway are on average of higher specs generally than the average phone you would find here. So there's, um, it can be an issue for a, like a, a run-of-the-mill, slightly below uh, uh, spec phone to run 40 different apps, right? It, it can be infeasible. So one of the things that these super apps are also doing is to making sure they create a light experience uh, technologically as well. And I think also just spanning back to the fact that we have a lot of apps generally on our phones, both in, 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 in Norway and Europe and the Western world, but also in case. I think I read somewhere that there's like a cognitive barrier to how many apps you can really use, right? You mentioned that, you know, that you liked the fact that you would use the super app uh, even though it might not be the best app, the exact thing that you want to do, let's say food, right? You might have an app that you find better, but it's always top of mind for you. Like you, when you are going to pay or order, order food or take a ride, that's top of mind for you. I think I read somewhere that the average person in Europe uses 16 apps or something uh, on a monthly basis, which is quite low. I probably have 50 to 60 apps on my phone. I doubt that I use even half of them at any regular interval, right? So I think there's a business opportunity as well. There, if you're top of mind all the time and have a lot of services, you will get used a lot uh, as an app. And if you're one out of 50, you're gonna, yeah, it's going to be tough competing with the other 49 apps on that person's phone. 
Thanks. I think we are starting to uh, to round up. So I'll just go a little round around the table uh, with all of you to uh, to hear your main takeaways from the conversations. And Magnus, can I start with you? Yeah. Well, so I I, I really encourage everyone listening, obviously, to to dig a little bit deeper into this topic. I think it uh, will revolutionise um, a lot of the way we see things and the way things are being done going forward. Um, so you know learn more about how Grab Taxi went on this journey and, and developed into what they are, do the same for WeChat and the other ones that we mentioned. Um, I think on top of that, um, just me personally, I thought it was very interesting coming to Asia, thinking through my own education and, and how this is being built uh, versus what I'm used to and what I was kind of taught uh, in, in university, which is, you know, you, you, you're being taught you know the way I think traditional Western business education—it's it's very focused on focusing in on the core and kind of make that incredible. And any um, diversions to the core, um, uh, you should try to kind of spin out or uh, uh, you know parts of the business with lower margins, uh, spin it out in separate companies. Um, instead of thinking, hey, how can I use this kind of amazing core that I built to launch new services and thereby build a bigger uh, business with, with more returns and uh, provide more, more services to all the customers that I have, right? Which is really how things traditionally have been ever in Asia. You see the same in the more traditional industries where you have large conglomerates that do everything from making noodles to building hospitals to building skyscrapers and providing other types of services. And I think we're seeing the same thing now within the technology space. It's like, you know, when you build something great, let's add those services to that that will provide not value, not only value to the platform, but also to the consumer. Um, so I think we're literally just seeing what has happened here for decades happening in the technology space. And a lot of that learnings are now also being employed in, in, in the West, which is amazing to see yeah. that, that the innovation coming from here and, 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 and going that way. Um, so. I think those, those are my main takeaways. Yeah, thank you. Ina? Yeah, it's tough to follow that, right? Um, but uh, on a personal level, I really like the, the to think about Super Apps as a narrative and really think about whatever service or product you're selling, think about the narrative. In what way are people using your product or service and, and how can you expand on that? either through financial services or through other services or products. And I think that is something that I will take with me and, and think about much more uh, when I work with the companies that we work with as well. Yeah, thanks. You okay? Yeah, all the good points are taken, but I'll try to <laughs> summarize the, the, the final pieces there. So yeah, I think the key takeaway, especially for companies back home in Norway and Europe, is that this uh, this trend is, is, is ongoing. I think we can see it happening already for European companies, uh, especially in the financial space with Revolut and 26 and Monso, uh, I don't think there's a long way for them to start uh, invading Norway uh, in a big way or other parts of the market. So I think it's important to keep that in mind and to look at what options companies have. If you have a large user base of, of, uh, of users, there's bound to be something you can expand on. Uh, so keep a lookout for that and I think uh, you will um, find some great opportunities. Yeah, thanks. Pitta, what are your reflections? Oh, I have to follow up that again? <laughs> well, um, no, I was just, I, I just have to admit, I mean, when Magnus was going through kind of the story of how an everyday Norway goes, I mean, going back to the narrative again, I'm sorry if that's exhausting, but having to open all these different apps, 
I've been living in Asia for quite some time now, and China was dependent, literally dependent upon WeChat to do anything, really pay or call or talk or eat. Uh, here in Singapore, obviously, I'm dependent upon um, Grab. And j I just opened my app, and I have all these folders. And in Singapore, I have three apps. That's, you know, Payla and Grab. And then in Norway, I have all these different apps, because when I'm in Salangor, I have to use three different apps, Columbus, to go travel. Then I have to use different types of apps to just take the bus in Oslo. So I think that there is incredible uh, potential in to Norway to kind of sharpen up and get some integrations going there. Not necessarily into the super app space, but just a bit larger apps, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Thanks to Joachim Bråten, Birte Hansen, Ine Jakobsen and Magnus Grimland. And this podcast episode was sponsored by BNB. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Enbus Talks, a podcast from the Norwegian Business Association in Singapore, with your host, Anders Hegre. This episode was produced by Linda Hesselberg. To find out more, go to enbus.org.sg and join us for our next podcast shortly. Thank you for listening. Norway means business.